Welcome to Deep Focus, a radio show about movies in New Haven. I'm your host, Tom Breen. For the first segment of today's show, I'm very happy to have on Deep Focus today uh, local musician Joey AX and local filmmaker Sev One to talk about their music video from uh, the fall of 2016 called Love Hate Relationship. We'll talk about the, the background behind the video itself, the, its portrayal of New Haven, what makes for a compelling music video in these artists' minds, and also some challenges and benefits of making music videos in the Elm City. For the second segment of the show, I'll be joined by uh, my normal movie reviewing buddies, Alan Appel and Lucy Gelman, to talk about La La Land, Damien Chazelle's new full-blown musical starring Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone as an aspiring actress and jazz pianist trying to succeed in art, life, love, and business in Hollywood. Uh, We'll see if this much-celebrated movie is indeed anything more than a nostalgic poll of classic Hollywood references. Uh, But first, I'm very happy to welcome to the studio and to the phone line, Joey AX and Sev One. Joey's a a New Haven born and bred musician, and Sev One, I'm I'm afraid I don't know much about Sev's background, but but we're going to hear about a Boston, Boston Boston-based, which I believe is, that's where you are right now, right, Sev? You're in Boston? Yes, correct. Perfect. Okay. Uh, Sev is a Boston-based filmmaker. So, first of all, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you two on here. Hi. All right. Hi, Mom. I made it. Hi, Sev. (laughs) You made it. It happened. You're really here. Deep focus. Okay. Um, So, Joey, for for me, for any people listening who may not be familiar with your work, why don't you, could you introduce us a bit to to you as a New Havener and as an artist? I I was reading uh, a couple of different pages of your site today and understand you're from Worcester Square. It's where you grew up. Yeah. Um, uh, tell me about uh, where, where you grew up in New Haven and uh, how you how you found your way to making music. Um, music was kind of, uh, man, it sounds so cliche and I hate saying this, but it sort of like found me. That was a really terrible answer. I hate when people say things like that. Like, yeah, it found me. Like, I instantly judge you when you say that. But I, like, <laughs> well, we're judging you favorably. Thank so, you, thank yeah. you, sir. I wish you were an actual judge <laughs> in New Haven. So what, what do you mean? So, as did you find it in the your group of friends, family members, just this yeah, the art honestly, scene you were growing up? In? Literally everywhere. Like I, I couldn't not do this. Like even when I was a kid, I would wake up in the morning and have like all of these song ideas in my head, and I play a bunch of instruments and um, did everything uh, I could possibly do creatively um which didn't work out well for like for me in school um because no one they want you to like know what three times seven is and not how uh how you think you're a superstar at 11 so um so did did you find i mean first of all where where'd you go to school uh all right so elementary school um dunbar hill in hamden actually so what's up h-town go dragons um yeah so that's my hello hamden uh yeah so i went to dunbar hill in hamden um went to betsy ross for a bit um high school co-op in new haven um i got accepted for music and creative writing uh that was at the old co-op now the new co-op is beautiful and impressive and looks like a spaceship I i went to the old one where like you could smoke cigarettes in the bathroom and somebody would clap for you so it's uh it's a huge huge change now. Um so I've, I've been, you know, all over New Haven really for years. So yeah. so going going to co-op and for music in particular, you must have been kind of surrounded by musicians from a pretty totally. early age. I mean, yeah. tell, tell me a bit about uh what 
I don't know, growing up in New Haven was like for you, but in particular in thinking about how it has influenced you artistically. Because one of the things okay. that I'm really eager to talk about with Love Hate Relationship is how it is, you know, it is a very New Haven specific video. And I think all it of is. your all of your music is very much grounded in the city in which you very grew much up so, in and yeah. love. But tell me about I mean, what what was it like? What was kind of the the music scene like that you participated in as as a high school student? Um it wasn't man, I because I was born in eighty seven, so like social media wasn't really a thing then like it, it was like myspace had just come out but it wasn't this dominating force that it is now like not everybody had uh soundcloud and facebook and twitter and were like posting actual snippets of their life constantly on snapchat so like things have changed quite a lot so back then um accessibility i guess is the, the point i'm making it was totally totally differently like i had to be physically out in the world doing this like i would i would do a bunch of open mics um from poetry slips because i've always been a writer and um i think that's like sort of the basis of where everything comes from i i can't not write and i couldn't really give you an answer as to why it just sort of it is what it is um and the creative writing thing at co-op like being a in co-op was so like, it was great. Like, I wouldn't do anything I do now if it wasn't for co-op. Are and there I, any particular teachers you want to give a shout-out to? Yeah. Anyone uh, who really mentored you along the Ms. way? Miss Katz and Mr. Smith, um, who I still... Like, I still talk to Mr. Smith. I actually... Last time I was uh, around in New Haven, I, I ended up speaking in his class, like, over the spring, which was awesome. It was, like, advanced band for... I think it was a junior class, and I, like, gave them a rundown of, like, what the record industry is like. Um, and being from here and then leaving here to get signed and all that other stuff, like I, I kind of have a dual perspective on both. And what I feel like at this point anyway, is a very realistic perspective with no, uh, I, I don't cut corners in my, or dumb down my explanation of how atrocious everything actually really is. And where like a realistic perspective, you're not going to walk out of your house and get signed. Like, it's just not like that at all. And and the things that do these days, like the, you're, your one hit wonder mumble rappers and your flavor of the month if you will like those things don't last like there's a ton of, of artists that were super hot last year that we don't even know where they're living right now so that's again that's the digital monster that the world has become but back then i guess tying it all back in like um growing up here like you kind of had to physically be out there carving your own niche in your own scene and and working with other people or creating like a standalone entity where somebody would recognize what you do um so it was totally totally different like there was every barbershop had a rap battle all the time like for no reason um and there's a part of me that's like you know i miss the eight mile era god i sound so old right now <laughs> i miss the eight mile era it's not like i just high school's like, only 10 years ago it te- only yeah. 10 years back so not yeah. too far in the past but but that i mean were are those when you when you reminisce upon barbershop rap battles were these uh raps that you were participating in were you rapping were you watching were you everything looking up man, like honestly everything like the the most honest answer i could give you is i was just around for all of it um and i wrote like i had a ton of friends that were like in screamo bands and because i grew up skateboarding too so like hip-hop punk anything on like the vans compilation wu-tang the fujis the roots were like my biggest childhood influence sublime um like all of this stuff was was stuff that like i, I kind of um, grew up immersed in from different directions and different angles, but it all kind of like New Haven's always had this very um New Haven thing to it, where 
there's obviously a ton of Italians and there's a really high African American population, huge Latino population and a really high Jewish population, especially like in Westville. And I had a lot of friends out there. So like I grew up around everybody, but there's always been like, I I feel if I had to like categorize New Haven growing up, it was like skateboarding and hip hop. And those two cultures like kind of blended well before, like on a national um, scale, I guess that became a thing. Um, so it was, it was just like indie culture and being super creative. I had a lot of friends who were graffiti artists. Um, yeah. I, I want to bring uh, Seven to the conversation soon, but when, when we get to love hate relationship, but first I want to throw one more question your way, sure. Joe. And that is about, um, I know it's, uh, it is a both difficult and very simple question to think about influences, but I was reading a blog post on your website uh, yeah. earlier today in which you tried to tackle that question of who and what artworks have influenced you. And I was really struck by just the incredible diversity of works that you reference as having some impact on your music. Yeah. Not And not just music, you you have a lot of love for CT's music scene. I do. And it was great hearing all the references of musicians that I never heard of. It sounds yeah. like people who you've been on the same bill with, but also, and you've got Jack Kerouac's on the road, you've got the Huge Bible, fan. Basquiat, Warhol, yeah. Pollock, uh, Blade Runner, Baz Luhrmann. Yeah. There's a real, uh, and I was trying to, I was thinking as I walked over here, okay, is there some smart through line I can come up with for all of these things that helps create Joey AX? Please, because I haven't uh, been able to at all. Well, I, I do think that there yeah. is a connection between the Baz Luhrmann and kind of Ridley Scott Blade Runner style of filmmaking and, yeah. and On the Road and Basquiat in that these are artists who are incredibly preoccupied obsessed with surfaces with form right these guys yeah. are really experimenting yes. with kind of avant-garde ways to present things visually to yeah. usually present like subconscious stuff visually or in blade runner's case it's like this really dismal dreadful futuristic i'm kind a of huge fan of like dystopian future noir but these are also i mean these guys don't just end surface is really important but it doesn't just end there right no, there's always some larger idea usually about how we relate to the people around us that and to the community in which we live uh that these guys are trying to explore but it's always through something i mean something kind of big bold and in your face and that's how it brings you in and i wonder if that that uh is that something that you find yourself attracted to in the work of a Warhol or an on the road, just how it jumps out and kind of grabs you and doesn't let you go. Yeah. I think that there's, um, there's truth in intensity. That's kind of what I've, I've always believed. And, and musically I've tried to like almost make that a lot more subtle because the DMX era of a rapper yelling at you is just so over. Um, and I, I love DMX. There wasn't X. If you're listening, yeah, take it easy on me. Um, but uh, it's I, I think there's an art to to creating like a beautiful contradiction and a subtle intensity. Um, Lerman's probably not too good at that, just because everything is so loud visually and and audio wise and everything. And he creates these like surrealist like time warp worlds. Um, but Blade Runner definitely. And oh, oh, huge influence. Blade Runner, uh, Frank Miller and Sin City, huge influence on my music. Um, and I saw Gangs of New York, Martin Scorsese's film. Uh, I'm that a massive Scorsese. I think that's mm -hmm. like an Italian thing. Like you just have to like Scorsese and like thin crust pizza. Like, <laughs> it's, a, it's a requirement. Yeah, yeah it's, you're, it's like, you're, you're traded to like the Russians friend. or the Irish. Yeah, you, you can have them. Um, the Scorsese's such a great story. I think Once Upon a Time in America, and I know that's not Scorsese, but that that visually large. Um, 
very like landscape heavy uh epic is it, it's phenomenal Can, and he is a he's a garish filmmaker right like he yeah. knows how to wow you with his style like, i think about all the tracking shots and goodfellas right like you want to be in this world yeah and then you have to take or wolf of wall street you have to take a step back and think wait a minute is this something that i actually want to be participating yeah in? <laughs> it's kind of yeah. sorted but man does it look cool is it does the, he's uh he's found a way to make darkness look phenomenally bright that's that's my my scorsese thing gangs in new york didn't uh with that i feel like it didn't look bright at all like it was morbid from start to finish and that was so dope um there was what else have i what have i seen lately that i thought was phenomenal like visually um as as you're cogitating about yeah. that i've i've left sev hanging for too long sev I'm i want i want to i want to bring you in for a second here before we jump into love hate relationship could you uh, both introduce yourself to to me and to the listeners, and also maybe as we're you know we're going to be focusing on a movie that you uh, directed and kind of collaborated with uh, Joey A. Exxon, What's your kind of cinematic sensibility that you're you're bringing in here? What is it that you find yourself responding to most, both in art created by other people that that you're watching, and also in the art that you create yourself? Very good. Uh, thanks for having me. It's it's a little difficult for me to hear uh, all the questions, but I think I got the basis of uh, what you're asking. Um, yeah, so I'm a, a filmmaker out of Boston. Grew up in New England, bounced around my whole life. Um, Joey and his team reached out to me. I don't know, almost you know, over a year ago now, and uh, I think his his music was uh, really really easy to kind of bring to life because it was already you know visual. So. Uh, as far as that video goes, it was it was uh, it, it was easy. It was very seamless, and uh, the New Haven backdrop, which I had never been to before, when we you know before the day we shot was uh, was great. I think uh, working with Joey was great, and he's doing a good thing for the city. And do you work uh, in music in like the form of music videos often? Is that a genre that you find yourself attracted to, or do you uh, what 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 kind of movies do you find yourself making? Uh, I do a little bit of everything, but uh, definitely, probably you know, sixty percent of my catalog is music videos. I, I've worked with you know um, a lot of you know mainstream artists as well as, as local artists, especially in in the New England area. I've uh, you know probably done close to fifteen hundred music videos. Um, and then besides that, you know, I have a couple of uh, you know short films and shorts and stuff like that that I'm that I'm working on in the meantime. That is so many music videos. I, I cannot wait to dive into a bit of that catalog. But, you know, I think this is a good transition to maybe, uh, Joey, are you okay if we play a bit of the song itself? Yeah, absolutely. And then talk about the video? Yep. Okay, so we're going to listen to uh, Joey AX's song, Love, Hate, Relationship. Maybe we'll listen to a minute of that, and then we will come right back for more conversation with Joey AX and Sev1. Oh yeah, oh yeah, Joey, uh 
The face of my city, the mouth of my region Yeah, all night hawks and ravens and shit that I be in And I got nitty with me, with Justin European Here where they ask for the truth, I'm the proof that they need it Born loser who's now winning, I think we're even If a tie's like sister kissing, that bitch is sweetest Stockholm syndrome and your sister is sweetest Let's get a sequence, I took an oxygen beat Okay, I'm leggy stunting, Steve Young for something I've been running and gunning since just a bun in the oven I think I'm a guard for it, like get these people away I love my city, but logos won't ever change County prison is looking like heaven's gates And I'm not going back to Raleigh, but fuck all the devil's games Top chef in the temple, I tell the devil, wait She caught a friend who wears some heels in the negligee These shadows of yeah, Illuminati secrets And I know God is with me, even though the sight is peeking Around the corner with court orders and legal jargon Guitar night in my circle now, like she's my partner I pour a drink and another one for my father And talk about the day that the next game against Harvard, oh yeah Oh yeah, yeah, bro, oh yeah What's the sweat? Oh yeah, Elm City hey. Welcome back to Deep Focus. I'm your host, Tom Breen. This is a radio show about movies and New Haven. You were listening to a little bit of Joey AX's love-hate relationship. Oh, I'm sorry to end it just a minute in. I could listen to the, listen to the whole thing. But uh, I think that gave you uh, a taste of it. And Joey, I want you to maybe tell us a bit about um, what, you're, what you're singing about and also what is happening in the, the music video that is playing kind of underneath the songs. Yeah. Um. Man, kind of... All right, so I left New Haven like 2012-ish, um, and after 2013, I kind of like didn't come back for a while. I was in a car accident, and when I got functional, um, started uh, just being out in New York and living there. Um, so I was all over Manhattan. I was in Harlem, uh, man, Upper West Side, the Village, NoHo, um and that's ultimately where like the music stuff kind of like really took off for me um because i kind of done everything that i could do in connecticut and that's that's the unfortunate part about being like right between new york and boston like we get lost a lot so by like you know 24 i did everything i could have done um and new york was uh you know i always said like i'm not gonna run to new york and wave around and, and, you know, wait for somebody to discover me and, and do that whole thing. Like, it's, you know, 1930 and I'm going to L.A. Um, but it, it in a really weird way, that's kind of what happened um, in a really inadvertent way. Like, I was living on a studio couch in Yonkers for a while. So um, I had, like, a lot of... I had a lot of really good memories of growing up here and people that I really, really genuinely loved, like... Um, Definitely want to shout out my little cousin Artie Natalino and the whole Natalino family. Great people, and yeah, you know, I, I they're also like very involved with New Haven, and um, there were people like that that I really believed in. And then there was a lot of like, God, I've been trying here for so long, and like no one cares because it's Connecticut. Um, so that was it was definitely a double edged sword, and that's kind of where love hate relationship came from. Like you know, on, on one hand, I really do, I love all of us here, and I love what it is and what it can be, and um on the other hand i'm like yeah kind of did it all here like what else and i and i still haven't done a damn thing so like that that like juxtaposition is very frustrating um and that i mean i think that ambivalence is captured like all you really need to do is read the title of the song love it really and you and you kind of yeah, understand yeah, for e- sure. exactly what yep. the tone of this is going to be 
Um, and yet, watching the video itself and, and listening to the music, I hear in what you're expressing the ambivalence, but it is it is shot and kind of the city is looked upon with such uh, love and affection. Uh, and there's a kind of like sepia tone nostalgia, not in a bad way, but yeah. in a, a really affectionate way. And maybe, I, Sev, I, I want to go to you for a second more. Um, you, I know you're, you're from Boston. You've never been to New Haven before working with Joey on this video. Um, could you tell me a bit about what your collaboration was with Joey to try to capture uh, the perspective of a lifelong New Havener of a city that you'd never been to? What, what, were, what were some of the challenges there, and, and how did you wind up uh, overcoming them? Yeah, yeah Joey, Joey had such a, uh, you know, a history with the city growing up there and, and, and knowing as many people as he had that we kind of just did did a did a did a little tour first, and you know he kind of showed me old neighborhoods, and we went over and had some pizza at uh, Frank Pepe's. We just we just kind of took a little tour of the city, and as we were doing that, I was capturing you know uh, just basic shots of, of of things that I saw that that were visually stimulating as we did that. And um, he also had you know he, he he's very artistic, so he had. He had some ideas of specific things that he wanted to make sure that we did capture, and uh, that, that, that's pretty much it. He was he was my uh, tour guide, and I just went around with the camera like a tourist and got it all. Yeah, yeah it was great, honestly. Like me and Sev and, and um, Sev's guy Gil, who did all the aerial work, um, and like we just flew drones all over the place. We got kicked off of roofs. Remember that, dude? We got, oh, that's right. We did. We got kicked off that roof uh, for flying drones because apparently that's like a, it's a homeland security issue. I had no idea. But what did we say? We totally lied to that lady. We we're like, yeah, we got a permit from the mayor's office, and I think we like made up somebody, and said he was like the vice mayor, which I'm not even sure is like a, a title for anyone. We're like, yeah, the vice mayor said we could do this. I'm sure it sounded plausible at the yeah, time. Yeah, no, I mean, it was a lot more believable in the moment. But I'm glad you brought up the, the drone photography in this, because that's actually initially why I how I heard about the movie and why yep. I reached out to you, because the editor, the arts editor here, Brian Slattery, sent me a link to the video, and he yeah. said, I want you to have these guys in your show, and I want you to find out how they got all this great aerial photography yeah. of New Haven. Because one of the, the, the music video opens with a uh, kind of shot reverse shot of east rock we, yep. we see the soldiers and sailors monument and yeah. then we see uh looking out over the east rock neighborhood which itself, we almost cranked with the drone by the way why is that uh yeah. what, yeah, was what that. about that perspective do you think like like why did you want to capture that in this video what, what about that kind of thousand feet in the air looking at east rock first and the the whole city from that vantage is it just a matter of wow this is really cool the technology lets us do this let's capture it or is there something about that Ariel's perspective that you think I don't know is a good way into understanding. Yeah, I think perspective the is the Haven. perfect word to word that because like my perspective on the city has changed. So, um, leaving here, doing something bigger than I could have done just here, and then coming back for it. Um, and I, I say that like with no arrogance at all because I like I'm my worst critic, and I don't think I've ever done enough. But this was, this was a mo like, I've had scenes of this video in my head when I was, like, 16. It just so happened that Seven and I connected, um, and we met through my brother, Nove, uh, Nove St. River, who's another artist in Boston who's also with us, and the whole, like, Last Ride family, um, who Seb is actually shooting his video today in Boston, so that's why he couldn't physically be here. 
and Nova, I love you, kid. Keep doing it. Um, I'll see you soon. Um, so Nova and Rally like hooked me up with Sev, and it was Sev was just the right person, like instantly the right person, and we had like long phone conversations. Um, not to make this sound like we like met on Tinder, but we did have a lot of long phone conversations, and we we just like artistically and creatively clicked. And especially because he had never been here before, like that was really dope to me. Because I'm like, all right, I actually this tour video, I get to actually give the tour to you know the the director and the and the the eye and the mind that's shooting this. So like a sometimes lot. Of- that, sometimes that's great too to to kind of have that outside perspective because you know I know for me, you know, if I go to the hometown I grew up in, everything is familiar to me. And if yeah. I bring somebody from the outside in, they might see something. To them, it's like you know, looks looks epic and is visually stimulating. But you know, to me, I'm like, oh, that old church has been there forever, man. It's just a church, you know. Yeah, definitely um, for sure. But yeah, that that kind of, that kind of uh, work helps help us work hand in hand. Where definitely, and we, uh, things, Sev, things are cool to you or new to me. Sev, I'm, inter- I'm also interested in your perspective as a kind of outsider, but also experienced filmmaker and maker of music videos. I mean, with something like 1500 under your belt. I, I've had a few episodes in which I've talked with artists who've worked on music videos, and I've found that most music videos have a very quick editing pattern. It's usually a lot of cuts, and they usually match like the very quick beat, especially uh, when we're talking about rap or hip-hop. And one thing that really distinguished uh, the music video for Love-Hate Relationship for me is that from the aerial photography to the many kind of extended shots of driving along at street level through various neighborhoods... Uh, there are, you know, there are plenty of edits in the movie, but editing does not, you know, that type of quick edit does not define the rhythm of the movie. It's much more about kind of spending time in each place. First, the over, you know, overhanging perspective from East Rock, but also just kind of rolling along through each neighborhood and really taking your time to look out at the houses. And I, I wonder if, is that, was that a conscious thing of yours as you were thinking? Well, is, one, do you find that with most music videos, it is a slightly kind of quicker clip of editing. And did you find yourself slowing down a bit to match the the pace and perspective of this song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Certain certain uh, music videos require that quick cut editing um, in in order to you know keep people's attention. But where this song is more laid back, it, I, I felt like it just fit it a lot better to be able to let people digest what they're actually seeing and kind of uh, enjoy enjoy the visual, you know. Uh, sometimes we just get bombarded, especially in this day and age of technology and whatnot, where we're just bombarded with images after images after images that we don't even have time to, you know, uh, really enjoy them, let them register, digest, you know, in our system. So I think that with this one... I just kind of let it breathe, you know. Just wanted it wanted people to to be able to really see New Haven for for what it was. And Joey, I think "breathe" is exactly the verb that I was thinking of when watching this movie, and yep. in particular, a shot where you have. So we get to see. So even though I, it opens with the aerial photography of East Rock, but then most of the movie is shot at street level. We have riding through the Worcester Square Arch. I think yep. there's the Quinnipiac River drawbridge, yeah. maybe, and along Whaley Avenue, along Crown Street. And there's one shot that I love of kind of slightly zooming in on Louis' lunch, and then all of a sudden you're inside Louis' yep. lunch looking at the guys behind the counter. Yeah. Can you tell me a bit about how you picked the actual locations for this movie? And did you feel that, you know, the the song is quick. It's upbeat. It's yep. got a great rhythm. But did you feel that kind of breathing tempo of the video as well? Yeah. I mean, honestly, like in our heads, we kind of wanted to make like a visual love letter to 
the things that make here special, unique, great, um, you know, any positive word you want to interject in there, any you know, favorable adjective, I guess. It, it was um, it was very, very conscious. And there, the first treatment of this video was very different than what we actually did. Um, there was another director who was, was slated to shoot it who um, was out of Manhattan and, you know, we just couldn't get it to be on the same page there was supposed to be like this huge performance scene in a theater with a full live band because the, i mean the track's obviously live music and um i i play all my shows with a live band so like it's uh yeah, that was like a conscious thing that we were gonna do and then everything po that could have fallen apart did and i have a very very close friend he's like he's my my big bro my mentor uh jack campo who's from here um who's got the coolest house ever he's got a loft in worcester square uh, it's, it's like outrageously nice. It's, um, you know, most people's best case scenario in life is his. And, uh, Jack, I called him three days before we were shooting. I'm like, dude, can we shoot on your loft? Because it was just, it was phenomenal. Um, like the view is, is downtown on one side and the other side is, you know, like Fairhaven Heights and the river and, and Long Wharf and like, you can't beat that view. So we knew we could fly drones off it, and the drones are sick. I mean, there's ridiculous 4K drones. Um, and we knew we could get those um, laid-back but emotionally energetic performance scenes with your skyline in the background, and it would be like an appropriate angle, and especially at dusk. So we like timed it. We rushed there. Um, the uh, Nikki Ferrazzi did uh, all like the styling and got all like vintage New Haven stuff, New Haven Nighthawks and chains and old stuff that no one's seen in a really long time. Um, we all rushed to get there, and like I said, all all my boys from Boston were down. Rally, Nove, everybody from LR, and it it just so happened to finally work. And by the time like Seb set up lights and and all of his cameras and everything else, like. It was dusk. It was our perfect golden hour, and it just worked. And um, then we had to f we shot there for a couple hours. Had to fly to Westville. Um, my boy Trav Carbonell has got his studio there. A uh, lot of studios, um, and the people that own that place were awesome to us. So we shot. That's where we shot like those art installation, like projector vintage stuff over me. Um, and it, it was a rush, but it wasn't. And I and Sev did such an incredible job, like making the hecticness of the day not come out visually in the final product at all. And really, like again, the, the love letter to the city because it hasn't had one. Like as of right now, we're literally the most watched video ever shot in New Haven. So yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Like we cracked a hundred thousand in like two weeks. So it's been going, man. Um, Congratulations. I had no you. idea. Yeah. If no. Did, well, you know, you know I want, I've got a, maybe a, a two-parted kind of New Haven-specific question for you. And we sure. were talking about um, growing up and how skateboarding, rap, these rap battles at, yeah. uh, at barbershops, really, and going to co-op. And you really kind of grew up in a very rich, and it sounds like culturally diverse and musically diverse very much environment. So, yeah. But when I think about um, one thing that I so appreciate about this music video and that I think New Haven still struggles with today is that combination of incredible kind of cultural and international diversity and then just the incredible residential segregation of the city. We have yeah. such great neighborhoods, but we also have 
um, such, you know, they're, they really are segregated on a pretty like racial basis, Absolutely. racial and economic. And one thing I so love about a movie that brings us to Worcester Square, to Fairhaven, to Whaley Avenue is that we get to see, I mean, in a city with a pretty dysfunctional public transit system, this is one of yeah, the rare sucks. ways to see yeah. like the entirety of, or at least, a, you know, a few different neighborhoods, um, all kind of crammed into the course of three minutes. Um, so I, I wonder if, if that, if you also, th- you know, think about th- the, Seg- the residential segregation of New Haven as impacting at all the the music scene that you're a part of, and then the very short second half is you, there. Are, you sing a lot about Yale and New Haven's relationship to Yale, the very prominent yeah. place it has in the middle of the city. Be real takes place almost entirely yeah. at Yale, and it's almost all about Yale. Yep. Um, and that seems like another kind of ambivalent relationship. So I wonder, as you think about segregation and Yale in New Haven, how how's that making its way into your? I own? mean, Yale in itself, not to you know quote me. I think I've always kind of wanted to quote me somehow um, the love hate relationship with Yale in the city of New Haven. I, they've, <coughs> excuse me. I mean, Yale has done so much. I mean, in in a great many ways. I, I've actually had this conversation with this dude um, on the train back from Manhattan maybe a couple of weeks ago, and he was like, "Without Yale, you're Bridgeport," and there may be some truth to that statement. I mean, I I told him no because I mean I'm. <laughs> I'm from here. I'm like, no, we will not be Bridgeport. But I, uh, there's a lot of truth to that. Um, and I mean, Yale has done a phenomenal job making this in in a great many ways a phenomenal world class city. Like it, it really has. Um, and in a great many ways, it has steamrolled everything else that is really from here and organically grew here. Um, Do you feel that impact in the music scene that you're a part of? Uh, yes and no, because the, the, again, the internet's kind of the great equalizer. So anybody from, you know, your, your hardest project making the hardest trap music to, you know, your richer Yale kid is kind of on the same playing field via the internet. Um, so, and we're starting to see a lot of people like cross lines and collaborate. Like, I don't, I don't think that there's. Um, as many lines there's first of all there's just no genres anymore in music like you every song on the radio is is hip-hop and edm and indie rock and everything like we're 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 in the era of the consumer and like everyone's just shoving everything down your throat so the combination of all these different lifestyles and sounds and influences it, it again it's just it's convergence internet culture is what it is so it's i mean has has this like is the city still a very um a, a tale of two cities yeah totally um and i've been fortunate enough to like live rather fruitfully on both sides of those lines um and ha- and, and have really really dear friends on both sides like i i've a lot of the sh- uh, shots that we you know on whaley and in the tray like those are those are my boys barbershops and i'm still close with them and they are known gang members and on the other hand like we could go you know, wherever at Yale and, and shoot too, because I'm cool with music professors there. So it's, it's been a, a proper balance, I guess. I've, you know, I've found a way to I, use I it I think properly. that really is ultimately what drew me so much to this video, how it does. It's, it's got that love-hate relationship with the city, but also, you're right, you exist, that ambivalence, you exist on both sides. You yeah. get to kind of partake in just about all of the cultural kind of richness that the city has to offer. Um, and as, as it goes, these conversations always go way, way too quickly. But yeah. I want to ask you quickly before we wrap up is, do you see yourself uh, making another video in New Haven? Is that something you're interested in doing? Yeah, well, all right. So here's uh, here's the rundown. Um, 
I actually have a meeting at the label uh, this week. So um, we're releasing another video today that we shot in Boston. Um, we shut down streets in Dorchester. Um, vintage, there's like five vintage cars, old Cadillacs from the 60s. It is all black and white. It is very, very film noir. Um, it, it, it'll it be out today. Um, what, is, what is it called? It's called Still Here. Um, and it is, if you took like 60s doo-wop and trapped it out and made it more modern hip-hop, that's what it is. And shout the band The Neighborhood. Um, also, uh, we are, that, so that's the next release. Um, then Taxi Cab Confessions comes out, which is literally all about me in New York. Like I wrote most of it in the back of various taxi cabs in the shameful wee small hours of the night. And right after that, this is how it kind of ties in. Um, um, this is the first time I've like publicly said it, but we're releasing the Worcester Street Fair, which is a, it's more or less like a '60s musical, but in hip hop version, and a total. It's not. A, it's not a total parody, but it's a lot of of growing up in Worcester Street. Like there's samples from everything from like Bye Bye Birdie to Sinatra, and it's very like 1993 hip hop, but all samples from that era of either Broadway or the sixties. Um, and the, a lot, all the videos will be shot in, in Worcester. So that is great. We will definitely, hopefully if you're up for it, have you back on the show to talk about yeah, Worcester street. Fair. This was awesome. Um, Joey AX and Sev one local musician and Boston based filmmaker who made love hate relationship, which is the most watched new Haven based video on YouTube, according to my guest. Yeah. Uh, and, Thank you too so much for coming on the show, Joey. Where can people find out more about your work? Where can they listen to your stuff and um, find out what you do? Killjoeyax.com and um, kind of everything is is off of that. Everything is sort of yeah derivative That's of Killjoeyax.com, and we'll link to that on our show page. And Sev One, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people find out more about what you do? Yeah, uh, thanks thanks for having me. Uh, I got two websites: one for the music videos, and then one for other stuff. So the uh, music video stuff would be. S-E-V-O-N-E media.com and uh, you know the other kind of stuff that I dabble in is blueembers.com so B-L-U-E-E-M-B-E-R-S dot com Great, Thanks so we will, we'll link to both of those on the show page as well and uh, yeah, we look forward to having you guys on again soon. Best of luck with the, the next video. Alright, coming up next is a review of La La Land, but first let's hear a little bit from another New Haven based musician, uh, Ellison Jackson, that's the same producer's band, and, and the song is called Man From Lowell, and then we'll be right back with Alan Appel and Lucy Galman for a review of La La Land.
Welcome back to Deep Focus, a radio show about movies and New Haven. I'm your host, Tom Breen. Uh, for better or worse, I didn't write out a long-winded introduction today. <laughs> it's Alan Rose's, Rose's eyes, hopefully because he laments not having one. But I do have a few notes that we'll see if I can cobble together and do at least a two-sentence introduction. So um, I'm joined here by Alan Appel and Lucy Galman. Thanks so much for, com- for hey, coming Tom. here. Happy and, New and Year. Happy New Year. Um, New Year indeed. So, Alan, when I think of La La Land, which I saw for a second time last night, late last night with Lucy, um, the first thing that comes to mind are two colors. Uh, the first color is this reddish, purplish, pinkish, kind of very vibrant sunset or sunrise that appears a couple of times over the Hollywood Hills when our two kind of star-crossed lovers, played by Ron Gosling and Emma Stone, are looking out um pining over what they hope to accomplish or lamenting that they are about to accomplish something perhaps in the absence of the other but it is a it's a somber color but also an incredibly exuberant one it's just kind of bursting through the smog of la and it's a very artificial color um the second color is this sickly green that appears at a few very important moments in the movie particularly on a uh, curtain that is the backdrop to our lovers' kind of dinner table conversation that results in a pretty important break for them. Well, that's it, the smog, Tom. It's yes, it's, it's the smog. A, I grew up with that. But it's it's a green. I mean, we were talking about the importance of green in this movie called Green Room a couple of weeks ago, and green you know has such rich symbolic value. It's jealousy, it's naivete, uh, it's greed, it's uh, kind of sickliness. But here, it's also quite an explicit reference, I think, to Vertigo, to Alfred Hitchcock's great movie in which his kind of character who's losing his mind finds the love of his life recreated in another woman in front of this sickly green backdrop. And so I think that's kind of a perfect summation of La La Land for me. It's these beautiful, uh, vibrant, artificial colors that manage to call back to Hollywood's golden era of the 1940s and 1950s. And so... Alan, I, I want to get your take on the movie, but did those did those colors jump out to you at all? And which one did you find yourself? Did you did you leave sickly and green after this movie, or were you exuberant and smoggy purple red? Well, red? I, was a, I was a little sickly and green in the beginning, a little mucus filled in the beginning, because um, I, I wasn't sure uh, where the movie was going beyond beyond the kind of um, you know very dramatic colors and the and the um, uh, and the song and dance. I I, I thought it. I thought it. W- there was a shaky, uh, a shaky start to it. But but um, I ended up really um, uh, feeling very exuberant, if I can use the right uh, adjective, about about the about the film. 
And it's so funny to hear you talk about Vertigo um, because the the movie, uh, all movies evoke other movies, I think, if they're any good. Um, uh, that is, if the director has seen other movies, which one hopes a director would have seen. And this this movie is, you know, just this is this is um, uh, this evokes, you know, all the, you know, singing in the rain. And the, and actually the first sequence, which we should talk about if we have a chance, the uh, on the 115 or whatever. I remember I remember those highways very well from having grown up in L.A. I mean, that's that is, I think, according to some interview I heard with Damien Chazelle, the young director of this film, um, uh, I, I think he was trying to do something to rival uh, the spectacular and uh, I'm afraid unrivaled um, uh, uh, barn racing sequence from Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, the fantastic uh, Stanley Donan film. One of my favorite movies of all time. If I am ever stuck on a highway in L.A., I want to have on the little video screen in the car uh, that sequence, which I would watch again and again. So you're right. I mean, I think you have to start at the beginning with this movie. It's such a show-stopping sequence from the very start where we have uh, some characters who wind up not being important at all to the story, stuck in traffic outside of L.A., maybe the quintessential L.A. experience. And all of a sudden... Uh, we learned that these characters are heading into L.A. to try to realize their their silver screen dreams. These are all aspiring actors and musicians and playwrights. And, uh, you know, th- these people, they want to succeed both commercially and artistically. And they jump out of their out of their cars and they hop about and skate about and well, roll over. No, that's car- not true. I mean, this, we- <laughs> this is a, a, a celebration of trying to achieve something well, while stuck in gridlock. Oh, right, um, and right. and the camera simulates a, a long take where we feel like for nine minutes the camera just hops kind of continuously from character to character. Um, but Lucy, I, I want to bring you into this conversation for a second because we were talking about uh, the many kind of Hollywood references in this movie and how Alan identifies that as an asset. And I think, too, yes, every good movie references other movies. Um, and I, I want my filmmaker to be conversant in the history of film. But after you left it, you found... Uh, the references from what I remember, you found the references a bit um, kind of shallow and kind of ending right there. Is a movie composed of references uh, worthy of this much acclaim? And I wonder how a day later, do you find yourself uh, still thinking that this is just a movie of, of nostalgic references or is there anything more there? No, no. I, you know, Tom, in your introduction, you said the word artificial when you were referring to cover color, excuse me. Um, but I, I think artifice is kind of the operative word and, uh, and this movie deals with it. And I mean, Alan, I think maybe the question is, does it work for you or does it not work for you? And for me, it just, it just didn't work. Yes, this is very rich in references, but also I kind of felt like at the end of the day, this is another kind of tired love story with really not great dialogue. Um, and poor casting that is about well-heeled white people trying to fall in love in LA. So I, th- I mean, so Alan, when evaluating La La Land, I feel like we, we have to, maybe this is the way that you approach any rom-com, I'm not sure, but there's one level, which is the story and the characters, which here, there's nothing new here. I mean, the characterization, the plot, um, it's, these are very familiar kind of striving Hollywood kind of young, attractive people who, yes, are kind of talented, but they ultimately, like, they're defined by their ambitions. They want to achieve great things. They're not achieving great things right now, and who knows, maybe at the end of the movie, we're supposed to think that they are, but they're always striving to do something else. 
But then there's also the craft. And I think that this movie is trying to, and also winning a lot of acclaim, because it marries up a pretty conventional love story, which defines all Astaire and Rogers movies. I mean, this is the plot of just about every musical that it's referencing, um, as opposed to like a, a plot-rich movie like Vertigo. Uh, but it is somehow elevated by the use of music music by the camera movement by the lighting by the colors well and others, the, and was others it the craft things. that won you over Alan, well you know what, what combination what won me over was it was really a number of things um e- even though um the other movie that comes to mind although it's not a musical is um uh is it godard weekend the no no you know the the thing about in the this, traffic jam <laughs> this traffic jam in the in in la la land um, does, I mean, these people are hopping out of their car after 15 seconds. We don't even, I mean, it's on a bad traffic jet. We don't get a sense it's traffic, but I guess that's the point. This is not a realistic film, obviously. Although, um, uh, I, I must say that, that the opening sequence really fails. And I think Chazelle said in an interview that they were considering seriously, not even including it because somehow, you know, there are characters who, sh- it doesn't, we don't see the rest of those people, but he he doesn't really make use of uh, all the physical objects. It, you know, the the dancers actually are quite tame. They're not doing anything like the 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 barn raising. But the the reason I really love the movie is that um, uh, it, it's sort of both an homage to um, to to the great musicals, to to Singing in the Rain and to Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. But it's uh, it admits that it cannot exceed them. And one of the ways it does that is because the Ryan Gosling and the Emma Stone characters, they can't sing that well, they don't dance that well, and they're sort of okay as actors. It's almost as if, because nobody could be Donald O'Connor and Gene Kelly and um, uh, Debbie Reynolds, uh, and do, I mean, th- th- those are not mortals in that film, I mean, uh, or in the barn raising sequence. These people, uh, they deliberately, uh, Chazelle said, um, sort of tried to make the singing kind of quite ordinary and emerge from the dialogue. And in many ways, this is sort of like an every man and every woman's musical. It's like karaoke. You could, I mean, you know, you, Tom, look like you could hoof it as well as Ryan Gosling in some of those sequences. Tom has some mad dance moves. I'm Alan. sure he could. And he, so, I, he would have been much better. In but, this so this is why it was winning for me because yeah. it, 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 it became something that um, was both in love with the object of its homage, but said, um, um, I'm not going to try to do it one better. So, Lucy, before we went to La La Land, we watched the first 45 minutes of Jacques Demy's 1964 movie, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, which this, I think, is referencing a lot in its color palette, in the brightness, but also in the, uh, well, in the kind of flimsy love story, uh, the everydayness of the characters. But I think that, at least in from our the little bit of Umbrellas of Cherbourg that we watched, there's perhaps a bit more uh, kind of native artistic skill yes. in the performers. Yes, yes. Um, but it's also, I feel like the music is a bit more, well, it's certainly there, there's no spoken dialogue. It's The music is really the way that people communicate. And that full-on commitment to the that type of artistic expression, I think, is a feat. But I'm kind of siding with Alan, at least in terms of the director's choice of not casting the most talented singers and dancers. These are people who, again, are aspiring to do great things. They are not great artists right now, but they want to be. Um, did that not work for you in the casting of Gosling and Stone, and and why not? No, I, I mean, just very little about this worked for me. I think I I said this to you last night after the movie, Tom. But um, 
you know, I feel fairly strongly that if the last 10 to 15 minutes of the movie were made into a short, it would be a really uh, delightful thing to have. But I sort of find the rest of it, um, you know, well interesting and well rich in references. Like, I understand why this is artistically interesting. Um, but no, the casting really didn't work for me. And also, like, if I want to go see an everyman's musical, I'm going to go see my local theater troupe, you know, and, and pay $10, which is actually less than the, the price of a movie ticket now. And, um, and, actually support some independent artists. I I just wasn't interested in this. And I think one thing that really separates it is as a, as a young woman, and I'm embarrassed to say this, but I am intimately familiar with the rom-com genre. It's what I grew up doing. And so I've seen movies like crazy, stupid love where Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling are again cast against each other as, as people unlikely to be in love who fall in love with each other and who have issues and have fights. Um, And, and I think this, this was just, I, I mean, I hate to say that this was uh, possibly more stale than any movie that cast Steve Carell as, uh, you know, in a, in a role. But I just like, I, I wasn't taken by this movie at all. And um, and I, I would not recommend, I, I would say, you know, if you're a big sap, go see this movie. If you appreciate references, go see this movie. Otherwise, save your 11.50 and go to a performance of Moonlight. See, I, I think that, Alan, I think that's why this movie does uh, work a bit more for me than for Lucy, because I am looking as much at the coloring and lighting. I know Lucy is too, but that is, like, there is a reason why I started my review with the color, because if I just looked at the characters in the plot, I'd think this is pretty boring and conventional. But the Chazelle's eye for, even if it's in a very obvious way, defining each kind of discrete scene with a different color... I mean, he's a visual artist, and he really has a flair for yes, kind is. of piecing together every single prop, every single kind of item that gives off any kind of visual impression to work together with one another. Maybe not to as great a harmony as Umbrellas of Sherbrooke, but I think this is a tendency that we as film goers should encourage in our directors. Is that yeah? No, no, it's very true. Right? Uh, let me just make a couple of points. Uh, uh, one, I think if you get the senior citizen's discount, <laughs> that makes you disposed to like movies more, Lucy. Um, I should uh, try it. Well, you got to dye your hair, but go g- give it a go. The other thing is, I, I, I may be wrong in this because, uh, you know, for all the reasons, you know, Lucy has brought up, but there, I think that uh, this may be looked upon in years to come as a kind of. Um, a kind of turning point mom- moment, a really interesting movie, because while it is a musical, um, uh, an homage to previous musicals, uh, it, it, in many um, uh, sequences of the film, the music goes dead. Uh, and, and in fact, you don't hear a thing, um, which is uh, for at least 20 minutes, I think, especially during the sequence where they break up and uh, Ryan Gosling, um, Tells her to go to tells Emma Stone to go to Hollywood to pursue her career, and he wants to p- pursue um, his dream of a jazz club. Now, you know this is relatively mature um, sequence in, in the film, and the, and the drama it becomes. Um, I, I mean, although it you could say it's a cliched moment, you know, is is it love or is it work that you pursue? But that is, in many ways, one of the one of the essential questions in young people's lives. There's no music and. It, it, the music disappears um, and then it comes back. So it's not just a musical. It's a kind of dramatic film at the same time. I, I, and it's somehow all of a piece. And I think that's an achievement. Lucy, I want to give you the final word on this. And that's, I, 
do you and that's more looking forward if even even if la la land didn't strike you as magical a movie as many people are responding to and i'm not saying it's my favorite movie of all time but i do think that it's something that i would like to see more of do you think that this is like a positive direction for even rom-coms or do you find it kind of trapped in a an empty nostalgia that is actually a uh, degradation of what you look for in movies. No, I, I mean, I, I totally, I think that's way too open-ended and that it completely depends on the movie, on the cast and on the director and, and the director's eyes. Do I think that Damien Chazelle did some very smart things with this movie? Yes. But, you know, I I keep coming back to Alan, something you said, the music is gone. Well, not only for me is the music gone in some of the scenes, music is just gone from this movie. It didn't work for me. And, um, you know, do I look forward to what Damien Chazelle has sort of up his sleeve next? Of course I do. I loved Whiplash. But um, but this just did not work. Well, sounds like a bit of a, a split on La La Land uh, that is playing uh, right now down at the Criterion, downtown New Haven. But uh, Alan and Lucy, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and and happy 2017. I look forward to the next review. Thank you, Tom. City of Stars. Sorry. Okay, uh, coming up next is Elise's Cocktail Hour, and uh, you can find a complete archive of Deep Focus shows at uh, deepfocusradio.com.